Come on now. I know we did this a couple of times before, and uh, one of the things I want to start off with is, first of all, say welcome, everybody. Now, if you are the age of 120 and, and younger than that, you are a youth today. So let me hear you. All right, there you go, baby. All right. Hey, guys, let's give it up for the worship band, man. These guys were awesome. That's youth, baby. That's youth with a lot of the leadership, too, that goes along with Pastor Dan. Let's give it up for the ushers. These kids are doing awesome. These teenagers, the greeters, they're the first ones you saw this morning. And also the guys that are doing coffee. Who's drinking coffee right now? There you go, baby. That's youth today, man. They, they made that for you. They brewed it for you. And last but not least, the uh, uh, Information Desk Center, uh, those guys that are just kind of getting the bulletins ready and, and doing all that, they, they came ready to serve you guys. And so I just want to just give those guys props. And I want to say to those youth and leaders that are listening right now, I am so proud of you guys. I am so proud of you guys and what you guys are doing. And here's the thing, people. You know, the world, the world uh, labels these, uh, uh, these teenagers as Generation X, okay? Um, the church labels them as the next generation. But let me give you a little bit of truth, all right? And say amen if you agree. Preach it. Come on, baby. They are the now generation. They are doing it now. There's no next. There's no and none of that. They're doing it now, okay? And I think that's just awesome to see these guys. And I know for the most part, we're doing a youth takeover, but I'm, I'm bragging. I know I can preach on them all day. But here's the thing. These guys are not just doing it here on Sunday, but they're also serving in the back every Sunday, whether they're a leader or, or a teenager. They're doing stuff in the nursery department, the zone, uh, the res kids. These guys are on top of it all the time, and I'm just, I'm just so proud of them. So, all right, let's go ahead and let's start with the prayer. Father, I just thank you right now for today, Lord. Thank you for the fact that the word that you're going to give me uh, is, is strictly from you, Father. God has nothing to do with me, Father. I just yield as just a tool, Father God, as I give them a word in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody shouts out. All right. I love feedback. We do this on Wednesday nights, so okay? Hey, guys, I want to quickly dive into the word. I want to first and foremost talk to you guys about God. Who God who's God, you know? And I'm pretty sure you guys came to church for that, right? Well, I'm going to talk, talk a little bit about God's nature, okay? Over the course of me growing up, I haven't always been a Christian, but I've heard of God. You know, I, I knew God was a cre- the creator of everything, and I've, I've heard stories, Bible stories, but I was really not uh, uh, knowing the word or in the Bible. And, you know, throughout my childhood, I remember movies and commercials that twisted who God's nature was. You know, or, or, or his character. I remember one time, I'm not sure if I was a teenager or younger, but I remember a commercial one time, and I, I have no idea what it was about. But all I remember, it was like this caveman walking, right, and just doing this thing. It could have been a Geico commercial, I don't know. But this caveman walking, and like he did something wrong, and it's like this lightning bolt struck him. And it was supposed to be God taking him out of this world. And, you know, when I saw that, and it still sticks with me today, when I saw that, I, I'm like, man, God's scary. I don't want to mess up. You know, and, and so when I, when I was looking into that, I started seeing now, uh, studying this, I started seeing how much God is, is twisted. His nature, it, it's not what they say he is. They portray him as, as someone that is uh, uh, ready to strike you down the moment we mess up or the moment that we make a mistake. And don't get me wrong, guys, okay? And hear my heart out when I say this. God is a God full of wrath. Okay, he is a God that's that that there's wrath. But when Jesus went to the cross, he took that wrath away. Okay, and now God is a God of full of grace. All right, because that's who his nature is. That that is who who he is. And here's the thing. God is also not just full of grace, but he's full of forgiveness. He's full of he's full of mercy. He's full of understanding. And most importantly, he's full of patience. 
patience. And I thank God for that because here's the thing, without patience, I wouldn't be here today. You know, we, we, we look at God when we think of patience, we think, well, well, I'm not going to say you guys, but I'm just saying sometimes I hear the fact that God, uh, you, know, you better be careful. He's ready to come at you. He's ready to punch. Oh, the, the last days are here. And I, I get all that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But God is not a God of due dates. God is a God of divine appointments. Okay. God is a God of patience. He is waiting. We're enduring this here in this world because he is waiting. He wants every single one here. Second Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. No, 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 no. As some people think, no, he is being patient. I love this part, okay? Because this is, this is humility right here. He is being patient for your sake, for my sake. And I thank God for that. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Are we seeing the nature of God now? Come on, this is, this is straight from the word. Here's the thing. He doesn't want everybody to be destroyed. People are being destroyed, but he doesn't want it. That's not what he wants. In other words, it's like me saying, I don't want to spank my kid, but I'm gonna. Come on, let's be real. I'm gonna discipline because I love my children. I want to correct them. I want to show them. I want them to do, know what's right from wrong and point them to Jesus. So I'm gonna spank them. Some of y'all don't agree with me right now. You're like, man, Jesse. <laughs> We'll talk afterwards. Okay. But here's the thing, guys. You know, here's the thing. Throughout the entire whole Bible, you see the nature of God. You see the character of God. I mean, from, from New, Old Testament to New Testament. And you see it that he's doing everything for our sake because he loves us. He's literally calling us to his, his side. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to go to his side. So he is being patient. And you see God's nature through this. And as you see God's nature when you read the Bible, you start seeing a little bit more now. You see God's mission. See, God has a mission here while we're here in this world. We all know uh, uh, one of the most famous verses, and you don't even have to know Jesus, but a lot of people know this verse. John 3, that's right, John 3, 16, okay? John 3, 16 is probably one of the most famous quoted verses out there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in shall not perish, but gain eternal life or everlasting life, right? I mean, you even look at the world, they, they, they kind of mock that, that, uh, that scripture, Austin 316, right? Or Rule 316, you know? Whether, whether or not what I'm saying is this, that, that verse is pretty famous. And so many times as believers, we, we, we know that verse, we understand that verse, but we stop right there. And I want to show you guys something else, okay? I want to show you guys another part. Let's go to John 3:17. Now we're going to see the mission of God, all right? John 3:17 says this. For God, everyone say for God. for God. All right, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now I looked up pause. I looked up that word a little bit, condemn. I want to know I just wanted to dissect a little bit. It's also in other translations also known as judge the world. That wasn't his mission. And I went a little bit deeper. And this one really got me. And I really want to check my heart on this one. I, it says, when we condemn or judge, a definition is to convict as if you're, not, if you're unfit. As if you're unfit. And I start thinking, well, unfit for what? Unfit for the kingdom of God? Unfit for his promises? Unfit for Jesus? That was never his mission when he came here. So again, going back, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Or in other words, to bring a salvation, or in other words, to bring a solution to this world through him, Jesus Christ. 
We see a mission now. We saw the nature, now we see the mission. He came here not to condemn, but to save. And that's what he wants us to do. Guys, that day is going to come, okay? Uh, it's either going to be uh, uh, judgment or great rewards, where, wherever side you're on. That day is going to come. But I'm here to tell you is that day's not here yet. It's not here yet. And if it's not here yet, that means the mission is not completed. God's mission is not accomplished yet. It's going to be, but not yet. And if that's the case, then there's a little bit of good news for, for our family and friends out there and anyone else that's here. It is not too late. It is not too late if someone's away from God right now. There's a mission here. It is not too late, okay? Now God shows us how we're a part of this mission. Ephesians 5.1, it says this, imitate God in everything you do. The word imitate can also be known as model God or, or copy God or be like God in everything you do because you are his dear children. You, guys, do you not see what happened in Ephesians 5.1? He literally took Ephesians 5.1 and he labeled us in it. And he says, okay, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you a part of the mission of John 3.17. And we have to mimic that. We have to imitate that. That's what he wants us to do because he had said, you are fitted for Jesus. You are fitted for his kingdom. You are fitted for his promises. You are fitted to do God's work here on this world because that, first and foremost, has been the number one thing he wants us to do. And when we start imitating, when we start copying, when we start being like, we be like, we be like, <laughs> sorry, we be like, but we're, we, we're like God. Flashback. Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, we, we start imitating God. Now, when we imitate God, we start being patient like God. We start being understanding like God. We start being merciful like God. We start being forgiving like God because we're simply doing Ephesians 5.1. That's it. Imitating. And in a sense, if you think about it, the pressure's off. It's not on us. It ain't about us. It's never been about us. It's always been about God living in me. And him doing the work. Because let me tell you something. This ain't me right now. I wouldn't be up here. This is God using me right now. I just wanted to say yeah to him. That was it. Imitating God in everything you do. Now, here's the thing. When we imitate and when we understand what, I, what we just learned about in Ephesians 5.1 and John 3.17, we start seeing a new perspective of God, a new perspective, a per perspective on people. We start, we start being patient now for the lost. We start understanding why they're not doing what they're supposed to do for God. Because here's the thing, you cannot imitate someone you don't know. You can't. Come on, imagine, I got this picture in my head right now. Okay, imagine you're going in the grocery store and you're walking and some guy just walks right next to you and he's doing exactly what you're doing. It's weird. I mean, okay, maybe it's not coming out the way I see it right now, but it's weird imitating someone you don't know. But let me tell you something. How many of y'all have kids and they copied you or they copied each other? You'll stop it. Stop it. Mom, mom. You, you ever hear that? Because they know each other. My kids do that a lot, and that's okay. But Because they, they know each other relationally. That's why. So you can't, really, you can't really copy or imitate someone you don't know. And again, when we, when we, have that, when we see that, we have a perspective of, oh, that's why they're being like that. And we don't become judging. We don't, be, we don't come condemning. We come patient and loving. 
and wanting them to come to Jesus Christ. Now we're able to hang with them and tolerate it. Maybe we don't approve of it, but come on, that wasn't Jesus' mission. He says, come and love. Just think about that for a second. But as the mission goes on, you know there's going to be an enemy. The reason why there's a mission is because there's an enemy. Okay? And what the enemy tries to do is he tries to distract God's people. Throw distractions or, 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 or make them doubt themselves to a point where, where if he can take them off course of God's mission, that's all good. That's all he really wants. And here's the thing. He will do everything he can to take you off. And it starts here. It starts here, the, the battlefield. And we start thinking, well, God, man, I love you and I want to do it, but I keep messing up. I keep messing this whole thing up. This is what God thinks about you. Actually, this is what God knows about you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. For we are God's, what? That's, that was weak. For we are God's, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. Or in other words, so we can do the mission he planned long ago. Now we see the nature of God. We see the mission of God. Now it's time to see your purpose. Why we are planted here and, and this uh, time that we live in right now. Your purpose was to be God's masterpiece. But sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't see it. We doubt ourselves. We start looking at the other things. And God say, no, 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 no. I created you to do good works. I created you for the mission. So we try to do something about it. Hey, Bob, can I get the, that thing right here? Okay, this is, let's pretend this is a chisel. It's a, it's a screwdriver, but let's just pretend it's a chisel, okay? So this, this is what we tend to do in our life. I love Jesus. I want to do, oh man, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to do what we got to do. And we realize, okay, I got flaws on me. I'm not perfect. Everybody falls short from the glory of God. And so we're like, okay, I have anger. All right. We take anger off chisel. I don't want that anger. Okay, and we come over here. Uh, I'm unforgiving. Uh, I'm having issues. And we start doing this because we love God. But then every so often we fall back to anger. God created the motion, but sometimes we, have, we use it the wrong way. And, we, and so we, we're chiseling these things off of us because God wants me to be his masterpiece. And don't get me wrong, guys. We have the right heart and the right motive when we do that. Okay? It's, it's, it's good that you want to do right for God. But we're making one major mistake when we try to chisel everything off of us. Everything off of us. We are hanging on to the chisel when we're supposed to give it to God. We're supposed to give it to him and say, God, take this chisel, take it. And when we give it to him, we give him the chisel, we say, go to work for I'm ready and I'm willing. And he's the one gently chiseling us and creating a masterpiece in us because that's what he wants us to do. And that's one of the hardest things for us to do is to, is to allow God to do that. Because here's the thing, it has never been about us or, or, or our job. That's God's job. That is God's job to do all that. You look at uh, the New Testament in the book of Matthew, and I won't go through the whole passage, but here's the thing. In Matthew, you see the disciples in a boat, all right? And there's this big storm and these waves happening. I'm paraphrasing it, okay? And, and all of a sudden, Jesus is walking on the water, doo -doo 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 -doo, doing his thing, right? And he's just kind of going through the storm, catching up with the disciples. And the disciples see him out there. They're like rocking and going back and forth, and they're about to sink. And they see, and they, they get scared. Man, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And Jesus says, no, 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 take heart, it's me, it's Jesus. I, you know. 
And this is where we're going to start out. Matthew 14, 28, and 29 it says, Then Peter called to him, one disciple. It took one, okay? Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. And what does Jesus say, guys? Yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And I know there is more to the story. I get it. We get it. He walks. He sinks. We, okay, we get that. But here's the focal point of what I'm trying to say, okay? Peter did something impossible. Peter took the words of Jesus, listened to him, and imitated him, and started doing what Jesus did. Think about it for a second. The water wasn't holding Peter up. The words of Jesus was holding Peter up. That's what was happening, because the moment he took his focus off Jesus, the moment he start, stopped listening to Jesus' words, what ends up happening? He started, water started holding him up. Does water hold you up? Nope. Bloop. That's what happens. That's just how God created it. But it was the words, at that one moment, it was the words of Jesus that held Peter above the water, because that's what he was created for. That's what he was intended for. You see, so many times we go about life thinking, man, if I just can survive, if I can just get past these bills, if I can just, you know, get all over this, if I can just stay above, head above water, I'll do what you want me to do, God. And God said, no, I never created you for that. A masterpiece doesn't do that. I created you to go above the waters, go above the, uh, of the problems, go above and conquer this life because Jesus has already conquered this life. You just need to listen to my word and imitate what I do. Come on. Imitate what I do. At that one moment, we look at Peter. He's walking on water, okay? We look at that one moment because at that moment, he knew for the very first time he was looking at the artist that created him. Check this out. Favorite artist, and like most people do when they ask a question, he didn't really care about my answer and proceeded to tell me what he thought the true answer was. And he continued about his struggle to recognize who he said was the greatest of all time. He said, I mean, is it Shakespeare? Is it Frost, Picasso, Michelangelo? Is it the Beatles, Rembrandt, Michael Jackson, Beethoven? And he went on and on and on about who he thought was the greatest, not recognizing even his infrastructure to answer that question was misled and outdated. And so finally, I kindly smiled and said, okay, sir, you asked me who is the greatest of all time. Now you tried to share yours, so let me share mine because there's no debate about who is the greatest because all those other artists you mentioned, yeah, the greatest made them. And see, this artist, he's a beast, a lion, the name above names. You don't even realize it, but you encounter his art every day and he deserves all of the acclaim. He deserves all of the fame because all other artists pass away, but he remains. Oh, by the way, his name is God, Yahweh, creator, your maker. He's infinitely creative, sir. There is no one greater. And, and I can tell it looks like you're starting to get mad at me, but don't be jealous just because your favorite artist might bend words and my favorite artist bends galaxies. See, in the palm of his hand, he holds all the sand, the author of life when he whispered, let us make man. See, what if I told you that you are God's poetry? You were created because someone else was creative. See, long ago he picked up his eternal paintbrush, dipped it in his glory, placed us in his story, and said, they will live for me. And I know it sounds outlandish, but we're not the product of random chances. And in fact, we're not even the vine. We're actually the branches in the same way we're not the artist. We're actually the canvas. 
Because in an instant, God started to make art, shaped you uniquely and beautiful, individual from the start. And he touched the canvas of flesh and said, this one is better than the rest. I'll give them so much of my image. So even when they're hot off the press, you can still see the steam of my breath. And so he crafted and he made every arm and leg, ligaments, tendons, muscles, blood vessels, veins, arteries. He said, they're gonna have a part of me. And about that time, the guy butted back in and said, that sounds good and all, but I'm wretched and filthy. God won't use me, will he? And I said, ah, see, that's what's awesome about God. No matter what we've done, he can still use us. Even though other artists, once they have broken equipment, they start to make excuses. God instead doesn't refuse us and neither does he accuse us. He redeems us in Jesus, promises never to lose us. So stop saying that you're dirt. Stop saying you're scum of the earth. You ought to be careful about how you talk about someone else's work. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, we can stop saying we're filthy. I mean, all that is anyways is just pride clothed in false humility. I mean, if we only believed that we're truthfully created in his likeness, then we'd stop saying we're wretched, filthy, shameful, guilty, but instead knowing if we've trusted Jesus, we're righteous. I mean, don't you see we're drawn to repentance because of his kindness? So how dare you call yourself worthless when he says you're priceless? But see, the best part is since God is ultimately for God, he'll get glory out of you, whether you like it or not, because even temple ruins point to an architect, even if the temple is shot. And all I'm saying is that he's behind it all. So why do we insist on giving him no credit at all? I mean, he's the one that gave Van Gogh the imagination that changed the face of painting. Tell me who else is responsible for Mozart being able to compose at age five without formal training? See, he made the fingers that Beethoven used to make art on the keys. For Pete's sake, he made Stevie Wonder, one of the best musicians of our time, and he couldn't even see. And that's why in the same way that our lives are borrowed time, this poem is borrowed lines, because the most ridiculous statement we could ever say is that this poem is mine because we're not self-sustaining. No, we're not self-creating. Technically, nothing we do is original. We're just imitating, and that's not a diss. All I'm trying to say is this, even our own creativity is nothing more than an outflow of his. And so I'll end with this. You know that quote about giving credit where credit is due? Well, if that's true, it's about time we give God his rightful credit too, because he's a God in the business of making old things new. And here's the truth. He's not through with making a masterpiece of you. You see that, guys, where, where God's nature, his purpose, his mission, and your purpose all play hand in hand. And here's the thing. We can take, we can take the example of Peter when he, when he went out of his boat, out of his comfort zone, and walked down water. The man was willing to step out of the safe zone because he heard the words of God. He heard the words of his creator, his masterpiece. And here's the thing. This is not just for the disciples and Peter, the Apostle Paul, King David. It's not, man, I'm rhyming. Here's the thing. It's not about all that. Okay? Now, those missions were great, and it's not just for them. It's for you guys, too. It's for every single one of us because we're all masterpieces. You see, when we, when we look at Jesus' word and we, we hear his promises, he says, you are, you are great, greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. He says, you are more than a conqueror. He says, your hope, your future is in his hands. He says, be strong and courageous in him. He says, take heart for he has overcome the world. He says, he's the way, the truth, the life. Choose life. 
He says, you can do all things in Christ. Who gives you strength? Because God has created a masterpiece in you. He wants you to imitate him. He wants you to, to walk above life and do his will. But it starts with you. It starts with you. Every head bow, every eye closed, please. Romans 10, 9 says, you believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is savior of your life. You will be saved. There will be salvation. There is a plan. There is a mission and he wants you on board. Well, what else does he save me from? How about eternal separation from him? You don't have to wait till that day. You can have him forever right now, but it's on you. Here's your invitation first time you heard about Jesus Christ and you want him in your life I'll lead you in a prayer second invitation you know Jesus but it's time to to create that personal relationship with him or actually in another word saying I want to come back to him and I want to start this fresh I'm going to get rid of the chisels and I'm going to put it in his hands and let him do the work and make a masterpiece out of me on the count of three shoot your hand if you want that one two three awesome I need everyone to repeat after me. Say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my friend forever. I'm sorry for the wrong I did. Lead me, guide me, hold me in this life as I I imitate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Let's give it up for those people who made that decision.